Hello, I'm your host, Inman Narwin, and this is Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, a monthly podcast of anarchic literature, where we take our monthly zine and turn it into an audio feature and interview the author. You can get a copy of the monthly zine by signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness, or you can read for free at tangledwilderness.org. This month, we have Death of a Murder by Vicki Osterweil, a short story set in a not-too-distant biotech sci-fi future about radicals waging a revolution against the unifiers who control the world we know now, and how fighting in a revolution is never simple. The word of the month is also about the future, and birds. As always, our feature is read by the wonderful bee flowers. Death of a Murder by Vicki Osterweil Vicki Osterweil is a writer, worker, and agitator living in Philadelphia. Her book, In Defense of Looting, came out in 2020 with Bold Type Books. Narrated by Bee Flowers and published by Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. Missy had learned to shoot analog, real bullets, she called them. As though the plasma rounds didn't blast through a unifier's skull just the same. It's not the same, she'd insist, and some of us would laugh, others rolling their eyes. The kickback lets you know it's real. The bravado didn't fool anyone. She was just set in her ways. She'd taken that relic through the uprisings of 38. Can't teach an old bitch new tricks, she'd laugh. And she'd earned her eccentricities alongside her scars. Who hadn't? Case in point, Dahlia was rubbing some brown muck off her purple-silver combat pumps with rubbing alcohol. She claimed with the instep clamps they were no different from any other shoe— And damn, she did move like a dream, a creature born for sidewalks and catwalks. If you were pinned down, watching her float up to your position with her deep purple scarf and matching helmet made you remember what you were fighting for. Leave the camo for the Jesus freaks. This was our city. The crow's nest was in a basement. The main naming convention in our crew, Rye Irony. The word militia had been permanently tainted, of course, especially after the atrocities up in Blackfoot territory, but August was pretty sure murder had been a bad joke that just stuck. It liked the black screaming crow against the hot pink cloud that adorned the patches, though. I never thought I'd be risking my life for a bunch of shitty puns, it said, throwing a dart. History is made by the posters suggested Ash, the newest member. We all called her Rook, though it was an affectionate lie. She had come out of the siege of Baltimore as unscathed as anyone could be, but her left eye, the Orgo one, still carried the weight of that victory, a distance her constant smiles and laughs never crossed. She was no newbie. She was, however, a repository of jokes the Crows hadn't heard a million times before. You hear the one about the unifier rave? A thousand people missing the beat in perfect rhythm. This machine kills gamer gators, was scrawled across the stock of her PR. A history nerd, a nerd nerd, and terminally online. A fish swimming through the sea of localized urban nets. She could hack like nobody's business. 
She was the kind of girl Alicia would have avoided before the Unifiers revived the power of the North American Alliance. Their hive tech won some stunning victories, it's true. Alicia had lost a lot of people in Mexico City. But they were sitting ducks if you took out the CO leading the squadron's neural net, or destroyed enough relay drones to lag their response times, and Ash was fucking great at that. Still, Alicia was frustrated. They wanted revenge, and we'd stopped meeting the unifiers in open combat. The battle lines shifted, focused on covert insertions of hacking teams and carefully coordinated sweep-up squadrons. We let them swarm territory. Now that we knew their tactics, they were basically useless in cities. It is not like they could easily win over the population. Everybody knew Miller's big promise to bring back a global internet was just an excuse to extend the hive. And anyway, Sin reminded us, her eyes turning to the ceiling, her sing-song vocamp turning wistful, the Star Queens are still up there bricking satellites faster than they can be put into orbit. What kind of person actually wants one of those zombie chips? Missy would ask. They didn't work if the host wasn't willing, although the rumors about instantaneous brain death meant willing wasn't always so relevant. Missy's younger brother, she heard, had been conscripted, but information coming from west of the Rockies was deeply unreliable, and the unis loved to lie. Still, the new warfare models had made the murder basically moot. We were a social club of grumpy veterans as much as a real fighting force, mostly doing supply runs and low-value scouting, while the unifiers stuck to the suburbs, occasionally sending in spies and infiltrators who couldn't even fool a fire hydrant. The suicide bombers were a lot scarier. The tactic reflected uni desperation, argued Ash, always the optimist. It was an inevitable result of patriarchal mind control, Alicia, our resident philosopher, maintained. And it's true. Sheriff Miller, on the propaganda broadcasts, says they are fighting for family values without a hint of irony. Except for those bombings, it might almost feel like a normal life in the city. Well, that and the shortages. Had the war made those shortages any worse? It had been at least a decade since we saw a full supermarket, so that didn't track. It's true that it was hard as hell to get quantum chips now, and a lot of people had to repair systems with old-fashioned binary shit pulled from the dumping grounds up in the mountains. Missy would gloat whenever this came up, as though the supply of metal bullets and gun oil wasn't dwindling even faster towards absolute zero. But the free pharmacies and med labs were running just fine, long used to improvising and DIYing their way through an astounding array of needs and, just as importantly, wants. Sin had helped launch two of the local labs, as she loved reminding us. All right, let's get down to business, Dolly said. I thought we were waiting for a 55er report back. We are already 20 minutes behind schedule. How long do they expect me to wait? She was kind of magic. We all knew it. The door scanner beeped as soon as she finished talking. A few of us raised weapons and pointed them at the door, pure reflex, best practices. But the screen just showed Dee's scruffy beard and shit-eating grin. Hey, let me in already. 
he said, mock impatient. None of us lowered our rifles. It was a rude way to greet a friend, but reports of zombie-chipped comrade ambushes were getting more common, and paranoia had a way of creeping in the longer you waited for combat. He kept up his shtick as he entered, raising his hands above his head and bulging his eyes out comically. I know I'm late, but this is a little extreme, don't you think, girls? Alicia poked their head out into the stairwell, then shut and locked the six-inch thick door. It wouldn't stop a committed patrol, but it'd buy enough time to purge our drives and get out the bolt hole. We exchanged the traditional pleasantries, then D got down to business. There was a war council meeting on Sunday. Yeah, we heard, but we don't share space with some of those. With fucking TIP bastards, spat Alicia. Yeah, what, what they said. Well, look, we don't care for them much either, but we're frustrated we're not getting anything done, and even a bad idea sometimes gets you thinking critically. This got some murmurs of agreement. It was actually a good meeting. He laughed at this and shrugged, like he couldn't believe it himself. And, uh, well, a lot of us are on similar pages out there. This whole micro-battalion thing was over when those creeps started kamikazeing. We just hadn't accepted it yet. He paused, waiting for someone to object. And maybe we should have, since what he just said went against everything we'd built for the last 18 months. But crows recognize a corpse when they see one. Still, none of us were making eye contact. Rip, said Ash. Sin and Dahlia giggled. Shut up, nerd, Alicia said, affectionate, punching her on the shoulder. So what? We can't just hang up our guns while they bomb our city to smithereens. There's talk of an offensive. Oh, great. Let's march out in columns to Fox Chapel, take a flotilla up the Allegheny. What could go wrong? We think we can encircle their headquarters. Melt into the hills, you know, old school Fidel Castro kind of shit. Let me guess, under a centralized command, one big army, top to bottom? More of a sort of federated structure. At this, there were general cries of bullshit. Too many would-be generals said federated when they meant poorly organized military power under my command. Hey, Listen, I know you are going to do what y'all want to do, but the 55ers are going to give it a try. We decided we'd stick together better than waiting around for some incel zombie in a crew cut to blow us up. August jumped to its feet. It was normally pretty level-headed, but when it got angry, well, thoughts and prayers for the poor bastard who did it to them. But Dahlia intercepted, raising her hand in warning and asked, who else was even there? The distroists had a report back from an intel mission on uni bases. Donica was there, but apparently their polycule had more or less demobilized, and so have most of the Polish hill crews. A few of the black and gold types were talking about doing some emergency bomb response work, but even the med lab people seemed pretty enthusiastic about the attack. Even the med lab people? Sin, of course. 
Look, you know what I mean? What I'm saying is things don't need to change. Things have changed. And we can't let this turn into a stalemate. We have to drive them the fuck out of our territory. Alicia shifted uncomfortably. They were Seneca, and whenever TIP was involved, people started saying shit like our territory. Settler fucks. But they held their tongue. The lashing they were ready to give wasn't really for D. D fielded more questions, and the mood got steadily lighter. We cracked out the Applejack and toasted to liberation, and we were all more than happy when he suggested calling Sebastian and Corey. The longer the night lasted, the longer we could imagine this wasn't so clearly what it was. Everyone pretended not to notice when Sin and August snuck off to one of the bunk rooms. And when Ash put a bunch of glitchcore on the queue, we yelled objections. Fucking Rook, this isn't even music. But halfway through the track, everyone was dancing in that stuttery way that said you were one more hit away from getting fog struck, even though none of us touched the stuff anymore. Perfect music for the end of the world, said Ash as we were standing out in the stairwell vaping. Her voice got a bit melancholic then. What are you thinking about the whole attack thing? I'm not, I said, and headed back inside. The next morning felt like a massacre. Sin was already up making coffee and eggs on the little stove, whistling a happy tune. She didn't turn around when me and Missy came stumbling out into the main room, bleary-eyed and miserable. Shots are on the table. You know I don't use that shit, said Missy. I, gratefully, picked up one of the vials, pressing it eagerly into my wrist port. It wasn't the standard hang-slash-over mix you could get from a Corp RX. This was a special concoction, Sin made, that had a delightful splash of progesterone E and some weird synthetic adrenaline. So as you came around, you felt a tingle of excitement, desire. It wasn't just medicinal, it was sexy. My head went from pig shat in it to clear and ready, hungry for Sin's breakfast and maybe a bit of Sin too. You're missing out, I said, but Missy scoffed. No matter how many times Sin went over the chemical composition, Missy distrusted injection cocktails and only used single-compound hormones for HRT and caffeine for hangovers. Her loss. The rest of the murder straggled out, August sheepishly putting its arms around Sin and nuzzling the back of her neck, and everyone praised her to the heavens for the shots and the food. After breakfast, it was bear hugs for Sebastian and Corey and Dee and slaps in the back and jokes. As they were leaving, Dee said, Remember, Friday, at the hall, four o'clock. And the mood instantly flipped, the door closing behind him like a gavel striking, bringing our meeting to order. In this one instance, maybe Missy was right. At least she could blame the hangover for feeling so miserable. None of us were surprised that August and Missy wanted to go, but Dahlia was a shock. She hated the party, maybe more than any of us, and hated taking orders with a frankly inspiring passion. When she said these days combat was the only thing that made sense to her, I broke a little bit. 
I had always thought I would follow Dahlia to the ends of the earth. But it turns out I just liked to imagine she was leading me. We had been side by side the whole time. I'd never really seen Dahlia. She had just been an image of freedom, a dream. Am I an asshole or is that just what crushes are like? We agreed we'd keep the nest through the end of the month, then let it go. There was a bit of debate about distributing ammo, drones, supplies, but in the end, it was mostly bickering for the sake of it. We decided which data we wanted to keep and purged the rest of our systems. Sin was going to head back to the med lab, and Ash, Alicia, and I were going to try and connect with the bomb response folks. We ended our final meeting, raising our coffee mugs to Anna, Rose, and Helene, and we hung our heads as Ash sang the beautiful, strange Hungarian dirge the rest of us didn't know the words to. There was a lot of crying, a lot of promises, and we all headed out into the gray morning toward our homes. The bomb response squad operated from an old abandoned firehouse. We lived in the building, and beside me, Ash, and Alicia, there was a triad of burly bears, ex-firefighters, we affectionately called Chad, Chad, and Chad, the best cooks we'd ever met, a splicer, Turbo, who had remade themselves almost entirely out of titanium. A body like that doesn't come cheap, but damn if they didn't throw themselves headfirst into every piece of wreckage. Dave and Indiana, two EMTs from when Mellon was still open to people who couldn't afford the subscription fees. A quiet kid calling herself Bolo none of us knew anything about. And an ex-party member, Andrew, who loved to talk politics, especially if it involved talking shit about his former orgs. When the attacks on the unifiers started, three weeks or so after the murder broke up, the suicide bombings increased dramatically. They liked to do double or even triple taps, sending in more zombies to detonate the crowds gathered to try and care for people in the aftermath. It was cowardly and horrible, and it struck against every instinct we have to help one another. It forced people to embrace their fear, to give in to self-preservation above solidarity. It turned us into exactly the kind of people the unifiers wanted us to be. After a while, people mostly kept their distance, just ran away from the site, so that when we went in, the street would be near abandoned save for the moaning and bleeding victims arrayed around the craters. Ash and I would take perimeter, much better at fighting than saving lives, while the rest battled fires and pulled people from the rubble, rushing them to med labs, which had, so far at least, not been targeted by the uni scum. I couldn't sleep. I was always waiting to hear the alarm bell, to jump into action. I got angrier and angrier, found myself threatening anyone who came anywhere close to me on mission, unable to tell the difference between Samaritan and enemy. It was dangerous. I was dangerous, and I knew it. Alicia and Ash knew it. When they started suggesting maybe I should find Missy and August and join the attack camps, part of me wanted to scream and tell them to fuck off, and one time I did, I threw myself against Ash, headbutting her in the chest and pounding my arms against her. I was strong, but she had a foot on me and bionic plate, and I only really managed to hurt my forehead and fists. She just wrapped her arms around my shoulders and shushed me, 
and told me it was going to be okay as I wept. I set out for the front the next day. The sight was dreary, olive and gray, the stoic aestheticism of militancy the party so fetishized. They talked about how the only thing that mattered was being truly alive, that the most important thing was intensity, that politics meant finding our friends. It was the inversion of the old feminist slogan, the personal is political. Instead, it made the political personal, transformed everything into a symbol of your devotion to the cause, pure aesthetics. They were incredibly unfriendly. Straight people, was all Dahlia would say about it. She had traded in her purple and silver for forest camo. But my heart still sang with hope at the sight of her. August had been wounded in the last attack, not badly, thank God. An exploding round took a chunk out of its shin, but it could have been a lot worse, and Dahlia thought they would be back soon. I can't fucking stand it here, Missy spat into the dirt. But she was always saying that, and her analog kit made her intensely appealing to the organics fetish of the party cohort, some sort of saint of the revolution. Why are you out here? Dahlia asked me, not unkindly. I told them about the anger, about the double-tap attacks, and how empty the city felt all the time. About the sleepless nights, and how Bolo got blown up and didn't even notice I'd started crying. Dahlia put an arm around me, and Missy looked loving and concerned. The protective mama the three of us never had. We'll get those fuckers, she said, consolingly. But it was hard to ambush an army that could instantly see whatever any one individual soldier saw, unless you got lucky and their monitoring teams weren't on point. Despite the constant talk of scaled attacks and wiping them out, we still had to rely on hacker squadrons to strike before we could even approach, still had to fight incredibly carefully, localized. And we stayed constantly on the move the forest rife with drones and patrols, and there was only so much counterbots and EMP grenades could accomplish. D had said we had to avoid a stalemate, but that sure as hell was what it felt like. And the second week I was out here, a drone found the 55ers camp and they were almost wiped out. My anger curdled into despair, and I got reckless, always volunteering to take point, always up for the most dangerous scouts. I had become a crack shot. I was getting a reputation around the woods as a brave and powerful gorilla. There was even a pamphlet rhapsodizing the beautiful new heroes of the revolution that talked about the mission where I single-handedly pulled five comrades out of a trap, taking four unis down and disabling a comms grid in the process. It was all bullshit. I never felt less new. I wasn't brave. I wanted to die before the feeling of emptiness claimed me entirely. Even sex felt like a duty. Missy was worried about me, giving me long quizzical looks and trying to engage me in remember whens. Dahlia grew distant, abstract, always in her own thoughts. She got quieter and quieter. When August came back after a few months in the labs, with a new leg and the same sardonic laugh, giving me a big hug, the black and pink murder patch proudly on its shoulder. 
I could almost remember when it felt like we were doing something real, when we were all in love with one another and the city and the possibility of a better world. I gotta get out of here, I told the three of them over a campfire one night. I can't, I can't see it anymore, you know? I can't taste it. Why we're doing this? Dahlia just nodded, but Missy said, I don't think that's such a good idea. You're a hero now, you know? They can't afford to have you leave. But we're just volunteers, right? I'm not in any chain of command. I don't owe them anything. Well, not technically. Well, then I'll just go. Technically. Just be careful. We camped with a squad a few weeks back. I overheard them talking about deserters, saying they were going to capture them, maybe have a trial. So there it is. I remember whenever we talked about joining our forces, how Alicia used to say, Every army becomes a prison. Every revolution that becomes an army is lost. I thought they were full of shit. No, you didn't, Dahlia said quietly. She still pushed back whenever I got too cynical, and I still loved her for it. I didn't. I knew then, and I know now, that they had been right. I began making my plans in secret. I kept going on raids, kept my rifle clean and charged, kept showing up at mealtimes and fucking anyone who'd have me in their bedroll. But all the while, I was squirreling away ammo, chips, and food, and what little bit of hope and resolve I had left. And then, one night, I walked out. I just walked out of there, into a scrub full of enemy drones and booby traps and comrades who might kill me for deciding to stop being a hero. Not back toward the city, but east. Toward, I didn't know what. My rifle slung over my shoulder and my pack full of rations. Out looking for the revolution I had once known with all my heart. Looking for a new flock to replace my murder. Owls hooted in the starlight above the scraggly canopy. And for the first time in months, I felt so light, so free. I could almost cry. Hello, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and just kind of what what do you, what do you do in the world? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, um, my name is Vicky Osterweil. Um, I'm a writer and uh, sort of organizer, agitator, um, based in Philadelphia, so called Philadelphia at the moment. Um, I um, yeah, I have. A day job and I write books. Um, and very recently, this is actually incredibly exciting for me because um, I have started rewriting fiction again. And this is actually my first piece of published fiction since, you know, in like college literary journals or whatever. So it's really exciting. So yeah, that's, that's me uh, in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. Hell yeah. Um, but you, you, you have, you have like a, you have like a book out, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm widely published and like non widely yeah. published. That's, that's maybe pushing it. I've published a lot of articles in uh, like nonfiction and I wrote a book um, that came out in 2020 called in defense of looting, which is a history of looting as an anti-police anti-white supremacist um, tactic. Um, and that made a lot of people very, very angry. Um, and uh, as, as was its sort of goal, one of its goals. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was, uh, I was reading a little bit about that on the internet. Cause I was like, I, when, when we got your submission, I was like, this name sounds really familiar. And then someone was like, oh, it's the person who wrote this book. And I was like, I've never actually read that book. So I'm just going to like, you know, look it up or whatever. And I was like, oh, people are really, really mad about it. People were really mad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the top result, one of the top Google results is still an Atlantic editor um, or Atlantic writer calling me a Jewish trans woman, um, a Nazi apologist. Um, pretty cool stuff. Uh, it just, by by like luck of timing, I mean, I don't need to get too far into this, and but like by luck of timing, it came out in August of 2020. Um, I had actually written most of it in 2015, 2016, and then publishing was slow um, for a variety of reasons. Um, so I think it actually really had nothing to do with the book so much as that it it, it was a good object um, for liberals and the right to unify against the George Floyd rebellion, which at that point was sort of starting to fade. So it was like a good backlash object for them. So sort of everyone unified and yelled about the book for almost a month honestly it was it was a lot um it was very satisfying in a certain way like everyone who i disagree with ideologically all the way from like some shady leftists here in philly like to to like you know uh stormfront was like absolutely furious um so it's very powerful but uh but yeah it was it was a it was a whole thing um and then it quickly was sort of as as an, as most objects of the two minutes hate was quickly sort of digested into the cultural uh the the memory hole yeah, it's weird. Like, I feel like the internet has like very, you know, it has an infinitely long memory, but like, like people's attentions are incredibly uninfinitely long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the thing that was special about it was for just how long I was the main character of like the internet and the media sphere. You know, I think that was, as that was that was special. But you know, that had to do with again the context of the time. It had nothing to do with. I mean, none of them had read the book. That was very obvious. Um, the funniest thing that happened was a bunch of uh, right-wing trolls noticed that it was copyrighted, but I was talking about stealing. And so they were like, oh, how would you like it if I just shared the book online? And I was like, oh, no. So like all the right-wing, they were like, it was, I don't know, it was downloaded everywhere. Please don't read my book. Um, so that was pretty good. But yeah, that's my one experience of publishing something um, in a big way, um, other than just sort of like an online article or something. Um, so um, I'm hoping... So of course I, I'm writing. I'm about to finish another book right now, and it, of course it's about how Disney um, has monopolistic control of our culture and has used IP to totally damage our society. So obviously I just like going for, you know, easy targets that people won't be upset about. You know, it's just my preference. <laughs> no, there there isn't like an entire identity of adult that will that will hate that. No, no, definitely not, definitely not. So it should be should be safe and um yeah, really, really reaching for that mainstream appeal on this one, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, at least <laughs> at least a lot of people might hate read it. Yeah. Yeah, crossing my fingers, you know. The most hate-readed woman in America. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, you know, that is that Goals, goals, <laughs> goals in the world. <laughs> um, 
Well, we we just heard this really fun uh, fun story that you wrote, um, uh, Death of a Murder, and um, e- even though we literally just um, heard B read it, um, I was wondering if you know just from a from the mouth of the author, could you could you tell us what this what what is the story about? What what happens? Yeah, um, I was really um, so part of it was sort of like. Uh, Oh, well, what happens is it is about um, a group of sort of trans revolutionaries um, who call who call themselves um, the murder, um, which is like a sort of micro battalion is the phrase I use that are sort of engaged in a sort of revolutionary civil war. Um, and the story takes place um, as that the, the terms of that uh, civil war have changed and their form of organization doesn't really work anymore. Um, and so we sort of watch them sort of split up um, and, uh, a main, an unnamed main character, um, sort of goes to various different pieces of the sort of revolution um, as she sort of drifts away and is increasingly unsatisfied um, with the content of the struggle. Um, I would say is a very, a very like basic overview of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I was rereading the story today to you know prepare for the interview, and um, I kept being like. Wait, have I missed this? The character's name is there. Is there a name? Does anyone ever refer to them? And I was like, no, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's uh, it's yeah, it's just silent. And like, um, yeah. In terms of like, the narrator, like I, the way it happened, it happened sort of organically. But I, but I really liked it. Is that I wasn't super sure that it was going to be a single narrator until she sort of emerged. I think it's a she, I imagine, but I don't know actually um, until she sort of emerged um, halfway through um, when things started to break apart and get more alienated. And I found that was like really a satisfying sort of um, literary effect I had done completely accidentally, like just by the nature of what was needed. Um, so I was sort of like writing it originally in a kind of like thinking about the group together. And as the story went along, like she emerged from the, from the group um, as an individual who was driving the story. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's funny. Cause it's like from that, from that kind of like first person perspective, it's like, I mean, you know, it's not necessary. A name isn't important. It's like gonna, it, and it's it literally doesn't matter. And, <laughs> um, but it was funny, like realizing that it was absent and then like trying to look for it and being like, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, eventually being like, you know, it's, just doesn't matter yeah (laughs) um which which i love um have you ever read um you read much samuel delaney um so i i have read um very little i'm very i i literally this year um read about half of dahlgren um or i guess last year it's 2024 now um but that was just before i sort of got deep into writing this book and so it sort of got put down but i haven't actually read much um delaney i think um although i have friends who are angry at me about this and I, and I do intend to fix it. Um, um, yeah, so it was really like directly, I think sort of inspired by, um, everything for everyone, which is a book by Emmy O'Brien and Iman Abdelhadi that came out in 2022. Um, that's sort of like an oral history of a revolution that has occurred, um, sort of decades before that the book is happening, um, sort of diegetically. Um, and I, I found it really like beautiful and inspiring. And I sort of felt this really like strong um, urge in, you know, the long 2020 that we're living through um, to try and sort of imagine um, stories about 
what it would look like um, when when things do actually start to break apart um, rather than this long sort of suspension um, in which the falling apart is sort of gradual and like day-to-day life is, is quite um, uh, consistent with what it has been. Um, it's just, just a little worse every day. <laughs> and like, I think like, um, so that was part of it. Um, and then also, um, for me, like a big, a big influence was, um, actually like Russian civil war fiction. So like August Babel's book, um, red, uh, wow. Now I'm going to get the name of it wrong. Red cavalry. Um, which I read like years and years ago and I haven't really revisited. Um, but which, was this very sort of like despairing um, introspective stories of like being a, tr- a soldier um, during the, during the Russian civil war on the side of the Bolsheviks. Um, and also sort of the work of um, Victor Serge, who's like another writer who writes about how depressing it can be to like um, be part of a revolution that's falling apart and like writes about how, how upsetting some of those turns can be. Um, and so I think a lot of that came through as well, although I wasn't conscious of it. I was, I was much more conscious of the um, everything for everyone um, when I started. Um, but yeah, D- Delaney, unfortunately didn't, didn't play much part, but it's very, it's a, it's a great honor that I've been compared to that you've considered it as an inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. It's also my like go-to like, or whatever, like it's like the, the author that I like to talk the most of talk yeah. the most about. Um, but it really reminded me of, um, he has this story called, uh, A and Gamora. Mm. Um, and it's about these, like, it's just about these like kind of like gay planet hopping, like, uh, like astronaut, cosmonaut, whatever space travelers or something. And um, I'm not gonna actually say anything more about it because I haven't read it in so long that okay. I barely remember what actually happens in it, except for that. Uh, <laughs> I definitely want to check that out, though. That sounds that sounds uh, sounds great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a fun little one. Um, but I yeah, I was like also seeing like some parallels to like um, I am I'm learning a lot about the Spanish Civil War right now because mm-hmm. um, this theater troupe that I do stuff with is um we're doing a play about the spanish civil war um which is fun uh if you ever thought that a shakespeare play could be adapted into being about the spanish civil war um the answer is it can and it's hard. yeah 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 i'm sure yeah um <laughs> no that that makes a lot of sense like i think yeah i mean if in case it wasn't obvious from the fact that i'm now in the process of writing a second history book um in my life um i'm pretty like obsessed with history and with with uh, particularly like sort of history of revolutionary movements um so i read a lot of that fiction and i also um to the extent that i'm capable um engage as as a form of practice myself um and so i like to like i do definitely like imbibe a lot of those stories i think um and i think that that like um another one that sort of um just came up as i was talking about this was like uh nanny balistrani's we want everything which is about like which is sort of this first person account of um Italian Aporaio, which is like the sort of workers' movement. Oh, my my cat Barnacle wants to get involved. Please don't knock over the microphone. Okay, um, sorry, Barney. Um, but yeah, like I think I think I think I was pulling on something um, around both. Yeah, around my frustrations that I've experienced and sort of like in those movements, but also about the hope and trying to capture both and not treat them as sort of like linear or necessarily um, fully separate from one another, I think is something that's important to me. Like the way I think we, 
I mean, this is not about fiction, but the way that we like talk about and think about the sort of despair and the pain after a movement sort of falls apart or fails, I think was really under theorized and underdone. Um, and I think we end up having a lot of conflict with each other uh, because of that pain being unprocessed and ungrieved. Um, so I want to sort of think about some of that as well, I, I guess, I think. Now now looking back at it, it seems like that was on my mind. At the time, I was just like, oh, this is a nice story, la, la, la. <laughs> so I send it right. Um. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's like there were, you know, there were a few, I feel like especially at the beginning, it's like, oh, this is like a fun, like people sci-fi wacky things there's explosions there's a little bit of drama and then it's like towards the end it like becomes this story of like oh this is like uh this is like about this person who's becoming like sort of like trapped by the movement um which you know it's like you have some you have some fun kind of quotations that i just love to pull out like um sure right at the end there's uh, every army becomes a prison every revolution that becomes an army is lost and i was like yeah that's that's true and brutal and it's like <laughs> i don't know it's like being like especially like uh like when i have a hard time when like anarchist spaces and stuff like become like really dogmatic in a way that like stops serving them you know yeah yeah, yeah totally um yeah i mean that's that's the other thing is right is like that's a thing i've i've long believed and i've never really wanted to like write that out as like a philosophical argument and like fiction is a really nice way to be like i can like dump this in here and like i don't have to like evidence this with claims or whatever like it's a it's a thing i really believe um and i think that the, the that there's an important distinction that i'm also sort of pulling on here i guess as a, like a political thing between an army and an armed struggle right like um and um and there are lots of um forms of armed struggle because when that phrase tends to mean like 60s ml groups that were very much based on armies like it's not that's not the distinction i'm trying to make but like um the fact that people are using weapons to fight um a state does not mean that they're engaged in an army it's like a specific form of organization that that i'm trying to point to um, as being prison like um wait sorry before we go on the what shakespeare play i realize i really need to know what's oh, the which yeah. one um, it's uh, Henry the Fourth, Part One. Hell yeah! Okay, nice. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> yeah, being, being that's been reimagined as um, in Enrica La Quarta, um, with uh, the story of the Spanish Civil War, like right before the uh, right in the in like the in the time leading up to the to the coup. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know maybe the Spanish Civil War. Now that you've said it, thinking about my story, like you know the the key moment is that they're organizing into a sort of hierarchical hierarchical cookal, my god hierarchical army um uh and that sort of being the end of the movement and like that's obviously like one of the interpretations of what happens in the spanish civil war um is that the militias get brought into a republican army um in 36 right is it 36 um and that more or less ends the revolution and then they also lose the war right and like that sort of being one of the main things people will often talk about there so i guess that that was probably present um on some level in my consciousness for sure yeah yeah totally it's like seeing it's like seeing those parallels or like seeing like um the even even just like lines like um history is made by the posters it's like particularly <laughs> resonated with like you, you know it's like on my mind because i'm learning about the spanish civil war but like i'm like that was because it was like one of the most like like uh at the time was like the most documented like war 
right. in history, like at the point at that point. You know, yeah. and it was like there there's like archives of like all these like posters and stuff just like of like posters from the war, posters from like the like pre-war times. And I'm like I mean, yeah, yeah, his history is made by the posters. Oh, that's so that's so funny because I actually meant it. I mean, that's perfect. I love that that has a dub. I actually meant like someone posting like yeah, on yeah, social yeah. media. Oh, okay, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, but that's that's great. And like, yeah, I like I uh, yeah. I think I think I have I have one in the in the room with me right now. I've got like a a poster from like a May sixty eight reproduction thing on the wall. Oh. So yeah, that that stuff is like. Um, I like that. I like that. Uh, this is not very deep, but I really like that 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 words uh, dual dual function there is really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of those moments where you're like, "Is this person being like really clever right now?" And like, <laughs> reader, she was not. <laughs> okay, this is this is actually why I've like. Uh, so there's this fun thing with like talking to people about like speculative fic- speculative fiction. Um, but also like a hard thing about like talking to authors about like, especially like short speculative fiction is I'm like, there's all these details. There's all these little bits and bobs. (laughs) I'm like, like, what's a zombie chip, you know? And then like talking to authors sometimes it's like, I don't know. But I would love to, I would love to kind of know like what the, like, what is the inspiration, I guess, for like the, this, this world that that you've built um, totally yeah um yeah so the the zombie chips like maybe a good place to start like because that i am just imagining a sort of mind control device that gets a imme- that gets like directly inserted into someone's brain um basically uh was was what i was imagining there um i think like you know uh so like i was saying earlier i haven't been writing fiction in a long time i've been really sad about it it's like actually been like kind of kind of a hard thing for me um emotionally i mean not low on the list of hard things, but you know, it's been there present. Um, and I had this sort of burst of, I don't know, energy and inspiration last fall um, to start writing some, some fiction. And so one of the things I was doing was I was looking at, um, I was just looking at like websites where people were making calls for submissions as a way of just like trying to like frame, um, you know, things to think about like trying to write. Um, and there was a, there was like a sort of submission call out for, trans cyberpunk fiction and i was like oh i could like do that and like i just started writing you know um so on some level it was very um on some level it's like a decade of backed up or maybe even more of backed up fictional ideas stuck in my head all sort of coming out at once um but i do think um it was also inspired by um like one of the things that's that's present there um it's obviously based in nothing that could really happen, right? There could never be like a fascist civil war in America. Like we don't have to worry about that. Never. Obviously, never. never. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. that's not. No that's one's not a... working on a. There's no billionaire that is currently working on like a neural cybernetic. Yeah, like, brain chip. Yeah. brain chip. That's that's absolutely no. It, that would never happen. So obviously, I'm just purely in the realm of invention. Um, but uh, like stuff like the. Um, Corp, the RX, the sort of the 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 revolutionary uh, um, 
pharmacies, free pharmacies that I talk about is like something that without getting into too many details, like is something is like a political project that I'm working on right now. And that I know a lot of trans folks are working on right now of like creating and distributing um, healthcare. I know a lot of abortion, uh, abortion activism is based around um, distributing healthcare that, uh, that is not available legally um, uh, into, pl- into places um, or to people who just want or need it. Um, so some of that stuff was like, some of it is also like me spinning out and, and sort of imagining like, wow, let's look through my fantasy version of like how this goes super well. It's like, okay, like every city in America has like a trans run free pharmacy that's like, you know, like that, that, that yeah. like, you know, that has like all these methods for producing stuff. Like that's, that's what I want the project to be like eventually somehow. Um, and so, yeah, so, so, so then stuff like that, like plays into it for the world, you know, of sort of like imagining, um, but also I think like, um, yeah, I think like body, like, I think like cy- the other thing about cyberpunk that I sometimes find very unsatisfying as an idea is that like, we already live in cyberpunk dystopia. Like it just like, isn't neon and like Japanese dominated and like full of like smoking noir detectives or whatever. But like, we do spend most of our lives like staring at screens that are theoretically connected to all the information ever produced. Um, and we do carry one of those around in our pocket. Um, and the government does like follow us. And like, you know, I think the, the sort of, um, so I, I really wanted to sort of just imagine sort of some of that tech, sort of forward without getting too bogged down by the ideas of like, oh, wow, like what if people did body mod? It's like, yeah, like I'm a trans woman. Like we do. I like bad news for you. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Body mod is happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's been happening. It has been happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, Yeah. so I think those are, that was sort of um, what was going on for some of that world building. Cool. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. And maybe, God, (laughs) when you realize you're about to say something on the internet that is like possibly controversial you you have no experience with this Um, (laughs) i've never heard of this yeah don't not familiar um it's like this i guess it's this thing that i think about especially with like 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 uh like sci-fi or like cyberpunk or something it's like um is that there's obviously like all these ways that like technologies can be used in like horrifying ways you know like these Mm -hmm. like like whatever there's there's many a media to warn us about the the dangers of, yeah. of uh, like advanced technology and like bioengineering and like all that shit. Um, yeah, and you know, and obviously harmful ways can be used to control people. It is already used to control people. It can yep. be used for eugenics. It is already used for eugenics. Um, but that there's also these like ways that technology can be fun and cool and like like a fun thing to explore and it's like it's like when it's connected to these like systems of control that it's like that it's exactly starts being bad it's like i don't know which is just me saying me saying that like <laughs> you know i'm not i'm not i'm not anti-technology i'm not anti like exploring technology just like really anti-capitalism and really anti-authoritarian governments exactly yeah yeah the technologies of capitalism and the state are the ones that make like all ca- all technologies they produce so sinister right um i think like i think like that's another thing that and i think i've been i've been witnessing this um um maybe maybe this is maybe this is just you know my personal journey and i'm just solipsistically projecting it but it seems like there's um 
there's in general a little more interest in fiction and fictional expression um, and poetry right now, like on in like left spaces than there was even four or five years ago. Um, and I think some of that has to do with we know what's wrong. And we need to like re we need to like open our imaginations to what we could build something else. And there was a time when I used to get really mad when people would say like, "What's your positive project? Like, what are you proposing?" And I still get mad because that's not said in good faith, right? Um, that's 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 bullshit. That's like being used to try and get people to shut up. Um, but also, like, there's incredible power in um, trying to imagine um, what what world we could build from the pieces of this one that would actually be beautiful because that this is the one we're in. This is the one we were made through. Like we are all products of this world and its technologies, which doesn't mean we can't change that radically, I hope. Um, but it does mean that like, the like, like, a, a, okay. So like a, a very basic sort of example um, is like, the revolution in Myanmar right now, like is doing this crazy, like they are making this crazy use of, um, uh, this really wild use of um, consumer drones that they are using to like successfully wage a guerrilla war, right? And it's like, well, obviously, like drones are a nightmare, like most of which like is just unimaginably bleak and horrible. Um, also, like th- there are moments in which we can sort of sabotage them or turn them against their purported use um, or use them in creative and exciting ways. And I think like that that opens up the imagination in ways that are really valuable to politics, even if um, I sort of share a general sense that technology has, you know, destroyed the planet. Um, like the way that the, the, that, or rather that, or rather the idea that science and technology are permanently progressive and good has been cover for the destruction of the planet is how I would want to put that. Um, I think, yeah. and like, I think like, um, and I think, so so yeah so it's uh it's a mess but it's a but it's a but it can be a productive one i think if we if we allow ourselves to desire and um imagine what we want and how we could get there with the things we have now yeah yeah totally um and i don't know it's like <laughs> uh i mean whatever it's like the that's that's the thing with speculative fiction or like science fiction is like it's it's actually not uh it's not as much an imagining of the future as much as it is like a projection of like the the world that we currently live in and like a in a way that is like viewed a little bit differently or taken to like i don't want to say like a further extreme because it's like we already live in a world of pretty like ridiculous extremes but i don't know that's why that's why i love speculative fiction because it's like it's it's like it's it's like people were like we want to talk about how weird and bad the world is getting, but we want people to not write us off as like, like doomsayers or something. And so we're going to like cover it in like in science or cover it in like, <laughs> um, like f- flashy tech, like futuristic gizmos or whatever, you know, I don't know. Totally. Totally. And I get that. Um, but then there's also like, I don't know. Uh, some things that I really like loved in this story is like, uh, there's just some like fun details that I'm like, Oh, of course that would be that. Like, of like, of course there's 
like uh, this future where like trans people are like cooking up like ridiculous cocktails of like hormones and like caffeine and sh- and like <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah that's that's weird and so believable and also that there's like some group called the star queens that is like they're like just the only thing they're doing is like destroying satellites (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i actually wrote i actually wrote another piece of fiction about the star queens like i was just like god that idea is like too fun um so i like wrote a tiny little like piece of flash fiction about them actually (laughs) because it was like yeah yeah just imagining a group of like weirdo um you know, sort of nerdy engineering trans girls, like really angry about military satellites, like figuring out how to get into like low, low space <laughs> orbit and just destroy satellites, like is very pleasing <laughs> and like yeah. and, like fully imaginable for me. Like it doesn't seem that. I mean, other than the expense, it doesn't seem that outrageous as an idea. No, no, yeah. it's really not. I feel like there is essentially. I feel like that. I feel like that too is something that is like essentially already happening. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. It's like thinking, God, just like like thinking about all the all the people where I'm like, oh, I know this person, and like 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 you're like a, your your job is like your whatever like uh, the the life that you live in the world is like that you're a like a trans woman who is like job is to like hunt Nazis on the internet or like right. totally <laughs> totally or like you're out how to like make hormones or like yeah. any of these i don't know yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah no i think um yeah i think once you've um once you've uh decided to um transition into an incredibly hostile and frightening world um i think you you feel it, it's a way it's not a panacea and it's not it doesn't make people automatically happier in fact materially it makes things worse very often um but it also like gives you a lot of sort of fortitude and creativity um to like imagine um other things that you could change i think um and so and an understanding of um how that has to happen um through our actions rather than through a sort of um waiting for something to change it for you um i think is something that trans people tend to have a better uh immediate lived understanding of yeah yeah absolutely um cool well um is there is there any is there anything else that you want to say about about the story or like other other things that you're hoping hoping people get get from it no i mean i'm just really like excited and honored like i've been a uh strangers um subscriber since i think back when it was maybe even just margaret's like patreon for a minute and then like i don't i don't remember the exact history and sorry if i'm getting it wrong but like it's just a real honor i'm like really really excited it feels so amazing to like have this be where this piece of fiction is and i'm just so excited that y'all were into it and that and that we got to talk about it basically um i hope people like it and if they don't, don't at me because I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we, we, really, we really liked it. Um, yeah, very, very excited about it. Um, and I'm curious to talk to them. Um, I'm, God, I wish that they were actually on. I mean, they're on the podcast, but they're not on this part of the podcast. Right. But um, our reader, B, um, is, I feel like I was like, I was like, B, I feel like you're really going to like the story. And uh-huh. I'm only now thinking about how like, Oh shit, I should have invited B on the podcast. to talk to you. <laughs> like, They would have had a lot of fun doing that. Um, 
but yeah when i when i was reading it they, they were like the first person that i thought of i was like oh my god this this is this is the future this person fears and <laughs> loves at the same time <laughs> oh, so I'm, I'm really like i said i'm really i'm really touched and um and yeah thank you so much <laughs> yeah totally um are you've already you've already told us what you're working on but um is there is there is there anything that you want to want to plug out in the world or like other things that you're working on yeah um so yeah that that book that i talked about briefly is called the extended universe it'll be out in probably in 2025 with haymarket because um books don't sell during election years like books nonfiction books that aren't about elections like just don't sell this is a thing that i have been told so um so it'll be out in 2025 hopefully early in the year um i have the other book in defensive looting which you can pick up um any anywhere fine books are sold it's also available free on the internet um at anarchist library you don't have to go to, through chud's twitter accounts um and uh <laughs> Yeah, I have a blog, like newsletter thing right now, um, which is currently at uh, vickyosterwild.substack.com. I am in the process of migrating um, out of Substack um, for reasons that I think should be will be obvious to everyone, um, hopefully, but that site is full of Nazis and TERFs and um, anti-vaxxers. Um, and when they were called on it, they said, we don't have a problem with it. We think it's cool. Um, so I'm leaving, um, but that hasn't happened yet. So hopefully... Uh, hopefully by the time this comes out or it will be in the process, but I've got other stuff going on, like finishing this dang book. Um, but yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm around. Come find me. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, not to say, but not to say mean things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, if if there are critiques, you know, feel you know, feel free. I've I've got a pretty thick skin at this point about it, but I, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um cool well thanks so much for for coming on today um i'm people might be shocked at how quickly this is wrapping up i've been saying for like 10 episodes that i want to try to make interviews shorter and shorter and snappier not that i haven't loved the interviews that we've done but this is this is me finally following through on that a little bit we did Um, it we did it we did it it. the future is now we have to make it ourselves yeah yeah (laughs) um well, that just brings us to our last little segment. I like to do the segment called a word of the month, um, mm. which is just me being an etymology nerd. Um, and I always try to pick a word that feels vaguely relevant to the story. I tried to look up like the etymology of like the word, like the prefix for like cyber, like cybernetic, you know, because it's oh, yeah. appropriate. It's not really that interesting. It's just like, it's from this like gr- the Greek word for like, um, a, a, like a helmsman means okay. like a pilot which is like i don't know sure. whatever it's fun it was vaguely interesting i'm sure someone could write uh yeah. an article about this but <laughs> um i thought of another aspect of your story and i have been wanting to do this word for a while so here we go um do you know the word augury oh augury is like telling the future right is it like predicting? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I hear it. I think the only time I ever hear it is like in relation to like tarot cards, basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but have you heard of the word auspicious? Yes. Yeah. 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 And it's an auspicious uh, situation that I've heard of both of these words. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, in the sense um, of a fucking seventh grade English class. Oh my God. I'm such a nerd. 
<laughs> in the right place. Uh, yeah, where there's like uh, the, the words that are all connected. There's like augury. There's uh, there's a kind of archaic word um, called auspix, which is like the Ooh. basically the same thing. Um, and then there's these phrases that we get like auspicious or like under the auspices of. Um, oh, oh, cool. But, Those all come from augury. Yeah, they all come from augury and. Augury, you know, literally means like divination from the flight of birds, um, or that's like that's like what we've come to understand it as. Um, and an augur or an auspex, sometimes called called differently, um, for like weirdly they have like they have like linguistic like differences that make them like weirdly subtly different in ways that are cool that we'll get into in one moment. But um, an augur was a person who divined, um, you know, what was going to happen. Uh, based on the patterns of birds and like this could be anything from like how's the harvest gonna go to like general omens about like the world or like anything and um it comes from what, what do, you, do you have any any guesses about like the the linguistic roots of oh bird? i mean that's, take a that's, wild guess that sounds greek to me but that's that's what that's all i got yeah um mm. or like um components of the word like what like what, uh, what og mean og yeah yeah no i uh i mean i'm thinking of like augmented or something like of like sort of with is like maybe the the guess that i'm but i you know this is yeah i'm on, out of my element here <laughs> Etymology. I I love learning it, and I, it like flies right through my brain, like a, like a flock of beautiful birds t- telling the future. You know. <laughs> well, it what it wasn't meant to be a trick question, but um, og or like avis literally comes from the word bird, and oh. uh, guri um, comes from gurir, um, which means to speak. So augury literally meaning to speak to birds. Um, cool. And then the other word that we sometimes get is auspex, which is from like awi, also for bird and spec, which weirdly doesn't mean speak. It means to observe. So like an auger or an auspex, someone who speaks or observe, speaks to or observes birds. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just like a fun, weird little world because then weird little word because then we get like phrases like auspicious meaning like there's favorable conditions or like Mm. under the auspices of which would mean like doing something with the support or approval of something Mm. but if you consider the linguistic roots if you're doing something under the auspices of something it's like whatever the thing is that you're doing it under but also that you're doing it with the approval of the birds of the birds i love that yes (laughs) yeah exactly oh that's so great that's so great. Um, that's so great. Cause like, yeah, like I, uh, like the other, the other crazy divination thing I like to think about is like the people who read entrails, but that's very different. It's like a very different, right. Who they would like, they would like, yeah, during sacrifice, but this is way nicer, like flocks of birds, you know, um, I, I love it. That's, that's what I got. It's very helpful. Let's thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to really connect that to your story is like um there there's like all these old like bird proverbs too about like um what like uh because like there's there is like a there is a magical aspect to this but there's also a like or sorry there's a <laughs> there's a less 
concrete magical aspect to it and there's like a, or sorry a more abstract magical concept and then there's like a more practical magical concept which is that like um you could tell what was happening based on like what the birds were doing so it's like you know that phrase is like like what are the birds doing before the storm it's like mm. gives you all these proverbs like birds singing in the rain indicates fair weather approaching when when fowl roost in daytime expect rain petrels gathering under the stern of a ship will indicate bad weather crows fly in pairs expect fine weather a crow flying alone is a sign of foul weather and so it's like this idea that like you can tell a lot about what's going on in the larger world based on like what birds are doing and the title of your story death death of a murder it's like that's it's kind of it's kind of a a little look into like the state of this like this revolution or whatever yeah. like how we can really gauge what's going on in it based on like what's going on with this one particular group or this murder so to speak yeah yeah the murder yeah that's really that's really beautiful i like that a lot um thank you thank you i love i always love discovering um I see why you do this this corner at the end of the at the end of the because like stuff like that is it does feel sort of like magic of like you know like who knows to what extent those you know any of that was present in my deep unconscious but some of it probably you know who knows I love it um, yeah 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 no it's really it's 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 fun and it it always seems to work out in funny ways like. Yeah, I don't know. Like one of our book authors, I got to talk to um, um, Ami Weintraub about about his new book. And like, it's like, there were just all these like things that I didn't expect to be so synchronous that I was just like, it's weird how synchronous this is with like some stuff that 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 you did with this book because this was not planned it's just happened <laughs> totally yeah yeah language is is really powerful like that like it's a real carrier of history um in a way that that we're yeah i don't know it's rad <laughs> deep thoughts deep thoughts here <laughs> um cool yeah well yeah. any anything left to say any anything that i didn't ask you that you're like golly why didn't Inman ask me about this no um, no no uh nothing else um just you know uh um free palestine like we will live to see it um you know i hope y'all are, are organizing and um struggling for things that matter and you know mask up in public both for safety and for covid safety um i which i like to i trying to end things these days saying that cause it's always on my mind but yeah thank you so much again this is this is such a delight yeah Thanks and have have good luck with your deadlines. Thank you. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you if you enjoyed this podcast, get ready for the gay cybernetic future. Also, you can tell people about the show. You can rate and review and like and subscribe or whatever the algorithm calls for. Feed it like a hungry god. However, if you want to support us in other sillier ways that don't involve feeding a nameless and mysterious entity, consider supporting the show financially by subscribing to our Patreon. If you subscribe to our Patreon at $10 a month, we will mail you a zine version of the pieces that you hear here every month, anywhere in the world. You can also get access to an archive of Old Strangers content, as well as discounts on things like t-shirts and books we publish. Find us at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. 
You can also find other podcasts we put out, like The Spectacle, formerly the Anarcho Geek Power Hour, the podcast for people that love movies and hate cops. Our TTRPG, Penumbra City, is out for pre-order. It will start shipping as of recording this next week. So get ready to find your friends and kill the God King. Before we go, we would like to shout out some of our patrons as part of our Patreon acknowledgement tier. If you would like us to thank you, someone you love, a rad organization, or a theoretical or fictional concept, then subscribe to our Patreon for $20 a month, and I will thank whatever you ask me to. Unless it's like the Empire or something. I'm not gonna thank that. Thank you, Ephemeral, Appalachian Liberation Library, Portland's Hadron Hackerspace, Boldfield, E, Patoli, Eric, Buck, Julia, Catgut, Marm, Carson, Lord Harkin, Trickster, Princess Miranda, Ben Ben, Anonymous, Funder, Janice and Odell, Allie, Paparuna, Milica, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, SJ, Paige, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Kirk, Chris, Micaiah, and the Eternal, Haas the Dog. Thanks so much for your support. It means so much to us and has allowed us to get so much done as a collective. And lastly, a lot of the features on this podcast come from listeners like you. So if you feel like a stranger that would like to find their story a home in this tangled wilderness, consider submitting it. Maybe it will start a revolution. Next month, we have a short story by Margaret Kiljoy. A field, a shadow, indeed a shadow. Stay well. We hope you come back.